The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's Religion Podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. And this is a special edition which addresses some of the extraordinary claims floating around today as Russia launches its invasion of Ukraine that essentially Putin is waging a war of religion. I've just spoken to Archbishop Nikitas Lulius, who's head of the Greek Orthodox Church in Britain, And you'll hear what he had to say over a Zoom link in a Florida airport, because the Archbishop actually comes from Florida, in a minute or two. But first, what is all this about the invasion of Ukraine being a war of religion? Surely it's just that familiar Russian territorial aggression. Not so, says the Reverend Giles Fraser, who's a rector of St Mary's in Newington, South London, and one of the Church of England's most independent-minded, to put it mildly, commenters on current affairs. His article, published today on the website Unheard, is headed Putin's Spiritual Destiny. The religious president wants to rebuild Christendom. Now, unfortunately, Giles Fraser isn't free to join us, but he sets out his case with characteristic clarity. He says, and all these quotes come from the Unheard article, Most people don't appreciate the extent to which the invasion of Ukraine is a spiritual quest for Putin. The baptism of Rus is the founding event of the formation of the Russian religious psyche. The Russian Orthodox Church traces its origins back here. That's why Putin is not so much interested in a few Russian-leaning districts to the east of Ukraine. His goal, terrifyingly, is Kiev itself. Fraser points out, quite accurately, that since becoming president, Putin has cast himself as the true defender of Christians throughout the world, the leader of the Third Rome. His relentless bombing of ISIS, for example, was cast as the defence of the historic homeland of Christianity. Fraser refers to the traumatic fracturing of the Orthodox world when, in 2019, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church declared itself independent of the Patriarch of Moscow. He writes, such is the centrality of Ukraine in general, and Kiev in particular, to the imagination of the Russian church, they've been prepared to fracture the centuries-old alliance of orthodoxy. Again and again, it's all about Ukraine, the imagined site of the mother church of the Rus. And he adds that the compliance of the Russian orthodox church with the political goal of a greater Russia has been shameful. Few churches have sold out to the state more completely than the Russian orthodox church. And the article ends by saying that the Western secular imagination doesn't get this. It thinks Putin's mad. It doesn't understand that, for him, this is all about spiritual space, a terrifying phrase steeped in over a thousand years of Russian religious history. Now, Giles Fraser's isn't the only article that puts religion at the centre of this conflict. Father Ed Tomlinson, a leading Catholic priest of the Ordinariate, wrote this week that, quotes, I have read many ridiculous articles claiming Vladimir Putin is mad. This narrative might suit Western propaganda, but it's deeply dishonest. Putin might be a thug, a zealous and dangerous ideologue with immense power to wield, but he's far from crazy. 
In fact, he's incredibly coherent in what he wants to achieve and can point to atrocities committed by the West in defence of his actions. Ultimately, he's seen the weakness of the West and no longer buys into their narrative. His own vision is sentimental, but sane enough. He wants to reforge the ancient Russian Empire and is getting behind Russian orthodoxy in defence of his position. Father Thomason continues, This gives him three things the West lacks, a coherent vision for people to rally around, a faith on which to hang it, and a strength with which to achieve it. Meanwhile, our elites pathetically rattle sabres and attempt to claim a moral superiority it's increasingly hard even for us Westerners to believe in, given that they have sold out our own heritage and principles. So, what are we to make of this religious frame of reference for the invasion of Ukraine? Despite all the caveats, it seems to come fairly close to taking Putin at his own word. He is, after all, a former KGB official, ruthless even by the standards of such people, who was firmly atheist during the Soviet years, and since then, probably before then as well, has been widely suspected of murdering his opponents. Here's a conversation I had earlier with Archbishop Nikitas, head of the Greek Orthodox Church in this country. He's not, of course, well disposed to some of the spiritual claims of Russian Orthodoxy, you wouldn't expect him to be. But I think you'll find that his comments are very perceptive and nuanced. And at the end of our exchange, he makes what I think is the crucial point. And by the way, apologies for the sound quality, but actually it's not bad considering that the Archbishop was speaking into a mobile phone in an airport in Florida where, although I think we've managed to edit it out, the tamoy was shrieking very loudly indeed. There have been some articles appearing suggesting that what Putin is trying to do is, is fundamentally, he's fundamentally motivated by religious enthusiasm. He wants to recreate the greater Russia, and that involves sacred territory in Ukraine. And fundamentally, what lies behind this invasion is, if you like, a sort of spiritual imperialism in which he has the support of the Russian Orthodox Church. And I want to know, basically, whether you buy this, whether you think that the religious element in what he's done is actually an important component. Well, it would be a religious war only in the identity of wanting to engulf other religious communities and embrace them into your spiritual family. I think we, we see an understanding, perhaps, and a vision of the former Soviet Union or former Tsarist uh, Russia, expansionism. And we, we have to look at, you know, yes, this uh, invasion of Ukraine is not the first incident. But if you want to look at it from a purely orthodox understanding, the church prays for peace. It begins the liturgy. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. And there are various many aspects of peace. One also has to really question Putin's uh, religious identity. Is he really a practicing, devout, orthodox Christian? I mean, I don't know that. Only God knows that in his spiritual father. But I think he stands alone in this, in the whole world. It's a very, very complex matter. There may be a religious component, maybe. But I think it's very small. I think we're looking at natural resources, looking partially maybe at identity, glories of the past, and trying to instill these things. 
What about those Ukrainian Orthodox who firmly reject these days the authority of the Patriarch of Moscow, who they see as a, a political operator as much as anything else? Putin seems determined to crush any idea of a Ukrainian Orthodox Church which looks to Constantinople rather than to Moscow. Well, I wouldn't say they look to Constantinople because Constantinople declared them autocephalous. They have their own identity. And uh, one should keep politics out of religion, and religion should not really mix itself into political matters. But you can't make people what they don't want to be. And you cannot make people and create them and uh, persuade them and force them to accept an identity. And do not the people of Ukraine have the right to identify themselves in, in an independent matter? You, you can't force people. The Orthodox Church works in a different uh, situation and understanding. What about those Christians in the West who say that Putin is an example of muscular Christianity, if you like, somebody who is determined, he says, certainly in his rhetoric, to revive a Christian civilization in Russia, and that essentially all his foreign policy exploits are ultimately motivated by this belief in Orthodox Russia? Well, first of all, Putin is not the, the person to speak for the Orthodox Church. The Orthodox Church, not only in Russia, but universally, has its leadership. And we also have councils which speak for the church. I don't think there should be anything, as you may have said, muscular Christianity. I think that's ridiculous. We don't force people into a religious identity. And not only Putin, but any world leader should not speak for the church. The church has its own voice, and the church knows what it's doing. He should you know, concern himself with matters of his nation, uh, security, the economy, and all these other good things. As an individual, he may want to embrace orthodox principles. But I'm one of these people who is against national churches. If the priest is a good priest, you'll have a healthy, good congregation. And you don't worry about other things. You don't pass laws to keep people out. What you do is you, you pass laws to embrace goodness and stability and protect people. But you don't establish laws because you're either threatened or you're afraid. You know, if you believe as a Christian, you have the truth and you share it with the world and you give an identity and a, a, a beautiful expression, people will want to share that. And the church, no matter what, will survive. The church always faces challenges. And that's where the ecumenical patriarchate comes in to take the leadership role, to solving some of the issues, the problems. And the church will solve its own problems. The thing is that Putin has anathematized, or at least his patriarch has anathematized people who recognize the authority of the, of the ecumenical patriarch. And therefore, isn't it going to be very, very difficult for the ecumenical patriarch to hold any sort of dialogue with either the Russian church or the Russian government? Well, first of all, I don't know if I would use the word anathematized. We've broken communion, number one. Number two, for every problem, there is a solution. And God will guide us through the Holy Spirit to find the good and the proper solution through dialogue within our own community and with the greater community. We have to look to leadership. And again, the patriarch will take the leadership. And let's, let's remember something else very important. 
that there is a system and a hierarchy within the church and the ecumenical patriarchate and the patriarch have the right to convene councils. They grant off autocephaly and other things. And Russia is not even in the top five, according to the ancient tradition. You know, it comes much later. And Russia is not the third Rome as they want to appear and present themselves. We have to stand firm in what's true. One cannot create an identity for himself or herself, which is not true. What keeps the identity and the truth that the church has given and the church continues to hold? We know from history uh, that the governments of the world use not only the Orthodox Church, but other uh, religious communities and other churches for their movements, not only under communism, but under dictatorships and whatever. The true church, in its essence, continues to preach and to teach the truth. This is one of the reasons I said I'm against national churches. So when people say this is fundamentally bound up with uh, Russia's religious, Christian, Russian Orthodox spiritual identity, as opposed to you know, territorial aggression, you're skeptical. Well, my, my question is, if this is really such a spiritual and religious thing for the Russians, how many people go to church on Sunday? What percentage of the population? It's less than 10%. Why don't they deal with that issue? That was Archbishop Nikitas, head of the Greek Orthodox Church in Britain, hitting the nail on the head at the end there. Nine out of ten Russians don't practice the Orthodox faith, at least not with anything remotely approaching the fervour that might serve as the basis for reconstituting Christian civilization. And if Putin thinks that they do, then he's delusional. Yes, Christian conservatives do have a point when they talk about the craven, woke, jargon-ridden globalism of the international elites and their many admirers in the media and, unfortunately, these days, the churches. And yes, it does get up my nose that many of the loudest voices, quite rightly denouncing the invasion of Ukraine, were, and still are, fanatical Remainers who think that the privilege of self-government shouldn't apply to the United Kingdom. Also, it is hardly surprising that the West struggles to come up with a coherent and powerful response to Putin's aggression when so many of its public figures roll over at the ridiculous suggestion that you're committing an abuse of human rights by misgendering someone by using the wrong pronoun. But it's hard to think of a more repellent reaction to Western degeneracy, as they call it, than developing a sneaking admiration for Putin or even in some Catholic integrist circles for the, quotes Confucian philosophy of the Chinese communist regime. They remind me a little bit of those fascist intellectuals in the 1930s who deluded themselves that Hitler was interested in their own versions of national socialism and envisaged a sort of Nazi brotherhood encompassing many different national traditions. The only Christian civilization that Vladimir Putin is interested in is either exclusively Russian or entirely dominated by Russia. And that is why, as we speak, he is apparently planning to kill large numbers of Ukrainian Orthodox and Catholic Christians. Mm -hmm.